playing classic catches. Who's next? This is Bluey's Brisbane. Well, g'day, it's Justin here from Bluey's Brisbane. We are the podcast that goes behind the scenes of Bluey, exploring the real-life world of the healers. And today, it's our end-of-year wrap-up. Lou Bromley, we're here with some classic catches for 2023. How are you? I am good. The mental load is steadily increasing with the intensity towards Christmas. I'm going to say we're recording this on the 20th, so there's not many sleeps left to 2023, let alone Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. And here's to Bartleby. Yeah, Bartleby! Welcome to the family, mate. Dad! (laughs) But otherwise, I think I'm doing okay in the lead-up to Tis the Season. How are you going? Yeah, look, um, backyard cricket is in full swing, you know, counting down the days for a Christmas swim. I mean, it is hectic. I only just got around to putting some presents under the Christmas tree last night. Um, It has been full on this year. We've already done one family Christmas, no Christmas swim yet. That's on Friday. And there will be more post-Christmas swims at the beach. So day outings planned for us. Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. And in terms of like wrapping up the year with some massive Bluey news, we got the news just a week or two ago about this whole Bluey world that's going to kick off in Brisbane next year. We're joined by Bluey's world producer, Andrew Kay. What can kids and families expect to see at Bluey's world? It's pretty exciting, Nat. You'll be able to walk into the whole healer house, through all the rooms, through Ah. the backyard, uh, to create this magical experience for children and families. What was your take on Bluey World? Oh, I don't. Well, I don't know about you, but you know, August 2024 is a huge month uh, marked in my calendar now. Uh, I think this is exactly what we need. We have been saying quite a bit, haven't we, over the years? Why aren't people talking to Ludo, ABC and now BBC Studios about just how, you know, phenomenal Bluey is in terms of the interest internationally in the home of Bluey and that just equals tourism. Like people want to see it and people want to come here. People are still looking for that Airbnb house that was a one weekend only promotion. I'm just going to repeat that for our listeners. It was one weekend only promotion that house doesn't exist anymore. But that's how much it's captured everyone's attention. And I think it's great that we now have Bluey World, even though we are very big champions of, we don't think we need a theme park. We don't think we need an admission fee type of place because Brisbane is Bluey World. But I think this makes it easy for people to access the world of the healers. So it's going to be really interesting, I think, what the setup's going to be. Yeah, I'm super keen to see it and stoked that it's happening because, um, you know, we've been doing this podcast now for just over three years. And when I first pitched it to you, um, that was kind of the whole thought behind the podcast that one day, and this was in the middle of COVID too, but that one day, you know, Bluey fans would want to come to Brisbane because they'd seen the sights of Brisbane on the show in the same way that, you know, Lord of the Rings fans go to New Zealand or even people who are fans of Schitt's Creek go to that little town in, I think it's in Canada. It's like a little four-horse town, but people turn up in Schitt's Creek, the real-life Schitt's Creek, because they're fans of the show. And we're now starting to see that with Bluey. Like, we get contacted many times by people who are travelling. Hey, we're coming to Brisbane. We want to see some of the Bluey sights. What do you think? And that's why I think it's going to be great because if you're time poor and you 
you want your bluey hit. And I think that Bluey World's going to be able to give you more of the inside of the house sort of experience as well, um, which is what you can't do for real life. So I'm down for that. Um, and I think I'm really hoping, actually, is how I'm going to frame it, that they do keep it low cost so that lots of families can access this. Um, I just think this news is superb and I'm sure you and I are going to be there. If we're not there opening day, we're opening week. I'll, I'll just assure all our listeners we'll be camped out. We'll be those type of people on our camp chairs out the front. Um, very much looking forward to that. Moving right along, looking back at this year rather than next year now, um, we're going to dive into some of our classic catches of the year, our best bits of the year, our favourite moments of the year. There's been quite a few, Lou, but first up, we've got Jazz Darcy. Now, we sat down with Jazz to chat about the second Bluey album, Dance Mode, um, her song Rain, which featured uh, as a single, there was a, a video clip, and it was just a, a great time to hang out with Jazz and talk all things music in Bluey. Yeah, when she signed my Bluey Dance Mode albums, so I had both versions. I know everyone's shocked listening to that, but uh, when she signed them, she told me that's the first time she's ever signed any of her music. Like that's never happened before. And I'm, I'm just got a little bit tingly because I thought that's awesome that it was me who asked for the old autograph. Um, so that was a magic moment for me, meeting Jazz and talking to her about her music. I was also blown away just how diverse jazz's experiences like rain is a beautiful song it's technically working on a children's show but she has done so many varied musical work uh, across her career so an absolute professional wonderful human being to boot it was an absolute pleasure meeting jazz darcy and recorded in the bluey music studio too as well so here she is jazz darcy I'm loving the video for Rain, Boldly in the Pretend, oh, which so you featured it. on. It's, it's amazing, so beautiful. Love the Queenslander vibes, you know, um, but love how you've taken the original music for Rain and then turned it into a song. And much like the first album, I loved how the Creek song had kind of been reimagined and yeah. had vocals put to it and um, how that had been done. So I'm, I'm loving what you've done with the track. Um, as a composer, how do you, how do you go about you know taking that original music and then writing a song to it? Did the song kind of exist before the the you know the theme for the show, or was it vice versa? How did you do it? Well, um, we knew Rain was going to be a big one, big musically, just because of the lack of dialogue. Well, not lack of, but it, the choice to have it just picture. Well, it really rests on the music kind of telling the story Absolutely. and reinforcing the story that you're seeing. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, I remember sitting by the piano and writing a pitch basically for the episode and uh, kind of wanting to reflect on what it felt like. I obviously had seen the animatic at this point and was really touched by it and I, it reminded me straight away, I went into nostalgia zone where it reminded me of being a kid growing up in on the Gold Coast yeah. and, you know, the humidity here in Brisbane and Queensland, it just is kind of suffocating. I love that line, you know, when the humidity broke because that's yeah. what we all look forward to on a super hot day, the that's storm it. coming in and the rain coming. Yeah, and as a kid, you this 
that cathartic release and it's so exciting. And I think when you're a kid, you get to be excited about the rain in a shameless way or like, you know, boldly <laughs> using a lyric. But and then, yeah, just literally playing in the mud. I remember mum saying, you're in your school uniform socks. You get know, out like, of the rain. Ah! And I was just like this fun thing where all the kids got together. And and so from that, uh, I, want, I found chords that felt grounded and nostalgic enough. And then lyrics kind of just naturally came. I think when you're writing a Bluey episode, um, Joe Brum always looks for a hook. And so that kind of was lucky in the sense that when you're writing a song, you're kind of looking for a hook and it kind of gets you uh, to the right, it gets you the pitch in a way. And yeah, um, yeah. and so lyrics kind of came with it just because I was so touched by the episode really. And then when I pitched it with, uh, it was an instrumental and also with vocals. Right. And um, we went the instrumental way and I'm so glad we got to do that because we got all the musicians we knew to come on and, and record and it was such a full recording. Like I think it's probably one of the biggest track-wise um, songs and it, we needed it for the episode to make it feel like it's just a big hug. Right. Um, but then from, yeah, it's a really good question though because when we were doing the album and we were like, oh, well, we'll, you, we'll bring back the vocal one that probably wouldn't have seen the light of day after. Uh, so... Um, uh, yeah, we thought, oh, it'll be a piece of cake. We spent so much effort in doing the episode. I'm sure we'll just put vocals on the top. But actually, it was a completely different production. We had to pull things out, make room for the vocals, give bring more dynamics because you're not just watching an image and feeling like a, a more meditative state. It's it's a song that's got to have highs and lows, and you know. Yeah, yeah. So it really was. Um, I remember saying to Marley, who who um, mixed and mastered it, being like, oh you know, it won't take too long. We've kind of done so much work on it and it really was so much effort went into it. And um, it, yeah, it's, it's really, I'm glad we had the, the space and time to do that though, because I'm really proud of where the instrumental sits and it's nice that the, the song version is a bit different. So they're not just repeating mm. on the album. It, they do shine in their own light for different purposes. Rain washes in and the boats start to raise the humidity broke. That was Jazz Darcy talking all things bluey and music. Uh, next up, we've got Dan Brahm. Now, Dan is the sound designer on Bluey, but most people would know him as Uncle Stripe. And we just love Uncle Stripe, don't we? Oh, we do. And, like, Dan is just so passionate about... He gets out there and records local sounds. So there's so much sound in Bluey other than the the voice actors we're talking about here, just to do a little bit of a step back. Like Dan is the man who is recording everything that's not the voice actors to create that ambience, um, that texture of sound. So you are getting for real life Brisbane sounds um, this isn't just going to a sound library, which d- they definitely exist. You can just pay to get, you know, all sorts of kinds of sounds um, to go with whatever your video recording production is. But Dan does so much of it from scratch. So I just love that he does that because you can't replicate then like the birds It will easily anyway. You can't do this easily. You can't replicate like the birds you're hearing um, that are Brisbane or like the sounds of the creek. And then the episode that we loved in particular, wasn't it, was The Decider.
Yeah, it was great to sit down with Dan to talk about the decider because, you know, state of origin in Queensland is just massive and it's so huge in the culture. Um, it was really cool to hear how he pulled that together. And Lou, you actually had a little bit of an interaction with Dan himself on social media around uh, state of origin time, didn't you? Yeah, we accepted um, a state of origin, it was a decider night, uh, invitation Um just up the road from where I live in Corinda, and we watched the game in someone's backyard with a fire pit. We put on a huge spread across, you know, the trestle tables, that sort of thing, and we watched it projected onto the side of their Queenslander house. And I was just sitting there going, I'm, I am in a Bluey episode right now. I don't think there were any blue jerseys, though, around that fire pit. Sorry, Janelle. Um, so, we were a pretty homogenous fan group um, who were watching. But yeah, and Dan interacted with me on social media about the epic setup. And I wish I could claim credit. I just turned up with some food. But um, it was a wonderful moment because I thought, you know, what you're seeing there in Bluey, that's happening in people's backyards. That's how we love to, you know, interact around it. And we got lots of interaction too around that episode because what is rugby league? But what is Maroons versus the Blues, you know, in terms of teams? And people wanted to know all about that. I'm going to do a bit of an analogy here. But um, another big Bluey fan that's just popped out of nowhere is Jason Kelsey. And like the Kelsey brothers at the moment are huge. If you're a Swifty fan, then you know about Jason's brother. Um, but, you know, the people who keep coming out of the woodwork who are fans, they're gridiron football. A lot of people in the US watching Bluey trying to make sense of rugby league. That episode was such a talking point to be able to learn something new, um, share a love of sports um, and figure out how it all works. And I just love it. I think that's um, fantastic how people are coming together through Bluey, through things like The Decider. All right. Well, here he is, Dan Brum himself, on his work yeah, on The Decider episode. Here comes Queensland. What? And no. they won't be stopping this bloke. Not from here no, anyway. No. No. Yeah. I was pretty excited when I saw there's a state of origin out yeah. And the scripts are always great. You, you can read a Bluey script and go, oh, this is going to be a good episode. But it kind of wasn't until visually it had been animated. That's when it lands on my desk. I get it on my studio. I get it with just the voices cut in and the animation done. And there's no other sort of sound or music on it at that point. But it gets to that stage and it's state of origin and you're like, oh, this is exciting. I've got to, I've got to really, really work hard on this episode to kind of capture what state of origin means to Queenslanders and New South Wales people. So, yeah, I was pretty pumped to work on this one. Darren Lockout, he kicks. Slater's picked it up. Was he onside? Slater down the ground. He kicks again. He'll get there. He's over. Billy Slater. He has scored. One of the great origin But, you know, it's like you've, you've, got to, you've got to make it sound like they're watching a game of state of origin, yeah. which was um, – took a bit of research, had the hard task of listening to a bunch of old and watching a bunch of old YouTube State of Origin <laughs> games, which I love to do. Um, and so it was all about kind of building that sound atmosphere as if they're actually watching a game. So you want to make them feel like they're actually watching a game of Origin. Um, and so there's lots of sort of layers to that. And probably one of the first ones, I think, was just the crowd atmosphere. And, um, you know, in my sound effects libraries, I've got crowd atmosphere of different sports stadiums around yeah. the world, which are used for things. But if you listen to a game of origin, it's like, it's not really cheering like at a 
normal football game. It's it's like violent yelling. Mm-hmm. It's just constant. Like it never lets up, and it's it's kind of more leaning towards a battle cry than it is just cheering for something. Mm-hmm. So you really had to layer and layer to, so that it didn't just sound like pl- applause and cheering. It sounded kind of wild, and I think from memory I might have even laid in kind of a gladiatorial combat crowd sound of that battle cry kind of thing until you just get this whitewash of just a roar of noise in the background. Mm. Um, And then you've got to embellish it with things like, you know, the contact of the players, which is big in origin. It's like they're big hits. These are big dudes. And so, you know, using like martial arts, combat sounds kind of things laid in. And Bucko is hit hard. I can't see Mark. Was it a difficult thing to sort of capture the two worlds because you've got the world of there they are on the back deck Mm. and the backyard and then you've got the world of the footy game. Was it difficult to kind of go between the two? Yeah, I mean that takes – it does take a bit of a uh, sort of sound design treatment of sort of EQing and having kind of certain effects that make it sound like it's out on a back deck and you want the night atmos and stuff like that so you can – you feel that they're on this cosy deck at night time watching this game, but you want that warm roar coming from the, the speakers of the TV. With anything in Bluey, I just want the audience from a sound point of view to feel like they're experiencing what the healers would be hearing. So it was just about kind of putting myself in, sitting on that couch on that deck and thinking, what would that game sound like? if I'm not always listening to it, if I'm kind of talking to my son or something and it's kind of background noise. So it always had to be going and always had to be there and things always had to be happening. So you can sort of tune out the conversation and listen to the background and you can kind of hear that the game is still going because that's what happens when you watch a footy match. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of little touches in there as well that I liked. Um, The referee's whistle. My neighbour is an NRL touch umpire. I was coming home one day and he was out playing basketball with his kids and I hit him up with my recorder and said, oh, making this State of Origin app. And, you know, him and his kids are huge NRL fans. He's like, oh, hell yeah. He runs upstairs, gets his whistle, and he blew all the proper NRL whistle calls. Oh, amazing. Because it's like that's little, those little touches are really important to me in terms of the sincerity of the show. I don't want to just use a stock standard whistle call. I want it to be the NRL uh, halftime call or kickoff call or penalty call. So you hear little whistle blows in there, and that was my neighbour a couple of streets up. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Michael. That was uh, (laughs) a nice little touch you added to it. That was Dan Brum talking all things State of Origin, mayhem and madness on Bluey. Now, next up, Lou, um, we've probably got Bluey's biggest international fan ever, um, who was in town earlier this year to check out his performance of a, I don't know, it's a fairly little musical called Hamilton. Yeah, I think it's going to be all right. I reckon he's had a box office, you know, success. <laughs> it's Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, and he was in conversation um, with Lee Sales. Now, everyone knows these people far more for being ice cream lady and talking to a talking horse. So, like, Lin-Manuel was in town to pop into the Hamilton cast and it just exploded here in Brisbane. And to set the scene, if you missed this news, when Lin-Manuel Miranda came to town, 
So the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, they did a ballot. Um, it was free, this event. You could be in the room where it happened with Lee Sales, Ice Cream Lady, Chloe's mum, asking him questions um, about Hamilton and him. And it was a ballot. Now, you put in for it, I put in for it, but there were tens of thousands for about 2,000 seats. I think over 30,000 people in that ballot. Yeah, I heard outrageous numbers. I, that was one of them, 30,000 plus. And so missing out, it was just like, wow, I'm part of a big club over here. <laughs> I don't think I actually knew anyone who got it. And I knew a lot of people who put in. One of the questions Lee Sales asked Lynn manuel was, and I'm just going to say it was very similar to what you could submit a question as part of your ballot, very similar question to what I um, submitted. And I'm not saying you know, correlation equals causation. I'm just saying it was a lovely coincidence and I loved it. But Lee Sales asked Lynn manuel look, are you more well known in your house that you have been on Bluey with your, you know, with your kids? Are you more famous for that? And yeah, he launched just into how much his kids loved that he had a role on Bluey as if that was the pinnacle of his career. And I loved how animated he was. And we saw footage, didn't we, about going around Ludo Studios to see how Bluey was made. Well, here they are, Lin-Manuel Miranda in the room with Lee Sales, a.k.a. Ice Cream Lady. My friend Rachel McElroy texted me this morning, Tony Emmy Grammy Bluey. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> we went yesterday for a visit to the Bluey Studios. And have your kids been impressed by anything you've done as much as the fact that you're on Bluey? No, that's pretty much it. It's an amazing thing to be able to do it and to see the process, isn't it, of how they pull all that together? It was really, it was really special, really kismet that the show that got us through the pandemic and really the only show everyone in our family can agree on was like, I want to watch this, I want to watch this. Can we just watch Bluey? Yes. Um, is, uh, is, is made here in Brisbane, so it was a really special treat. And you had a bit of a stretch because you had to play a horse. Excuse me, I played Bluey's first horse. <laughs> Um, so I was, yes, I was very, I was honoured to be asked. I think I recorded my piece at three in the morning my time. It's two lines and uh, I'll never top it. Did you go method? Oh, yeah, I mean, in, in the fields for days, learning to gallop. All right, so that was Lin-Manuel Miranda talking with the ABC's Lee Sales about all things uh, Bluey. If you want to hear a fan's perspective of what it was like being in that room, jump back into your podcast feed, listen to that full episode. It's called Hound Control to Major Tom. And um, you'll hear one of the fans that was in the room talking about that whole experience. Um, next up, Lou, we've got another international fan of Bluey. And she is huge as well. Julia Quinn is the author of the best-selling romance series Bridgerton. Many people would know Bridgerton because of the Netflix uh, series. Now, Julia was in town right at the start of this year and she actually tagged us because she went looking for the Bluey Airbnb and she, she found it, but she was very disappointed to find that it was just back to its normal house. Um, and she tagged us. Now, you actually managed to catch up with Julia at a romance writers event that you were attending. So I live a double life. Actually, I think I live a triple, maybe quadruple life with the multiple roles I play, but I write romance novels as well as co-host this podcast with you. Uh, and Julia Quinn was the special guest for the Australian Romance Readers Associations. Um, they have a romantic rendezvous is the book signing event and Julia Quinn was in town for that and she kicked it off in Brisbane. She got in a day or two early 
And the day before, I almost died. Like I'm getting ready for, I don't think, no, it wasn't technically my first book signing, but, you know, I was getting ready for this, packing books, making sure I dotted I's and crossed T's, all that sort of thing to find is that actually the Julia Quinn, the Bridgerton series, Bridgerton books, best-selling author, Shonda Rhimes now bestie because of Bridgerton. Uh, is that that Julia Quinn who's tagging us? And sure enough, there she was. She walked from Brisbane Central Business District where she was staying all the way to Paddington. And that is no... That's no stroll in the park, Justin. I think we've tried to make it clear in some of our episodes just how hilly it is around Red Hill and Paddington. And she slogged it out on foot to get over jet lag. She wanted to get some sun rays. It was a hot and stinky day. Like this was epic, Julia. Of course, you're listening now, listening to our recap. And I managed uh, the day after to go up and say hello. And this is where Deborah Hood artist she painted the bluey house this is where she enters this chat at the beginning of the year and she contacted me um about do you want to give a print of the bluey house to julia quinn and she gave me five minutes of her time before the book signing started and i got to talk to her about you know the, why she loves bluey but also her career as a romance um writer uh, and I presented her with that gift as a souvenir with a little apology because it's not a small gift to give someone who's going on international flight. She said, I don't care. I'm making sure this comes home. So there's a little bit of Bluey in Julia Quinn's home right now, and I think that's amazing. We're here at the Australian Romance Readers Association's a romantic rendezvous. We're here at Royal on the Park and this is a huge event. We've got everyone lining up outside. They're going to be here because you're the special guest. Welcome to Brisbane. Thank you. I, I have been here once before, but it was very brief and uh, it was really fun exploring the city a little bit. You found yourself on a certain street looking at a certain house, feeling pretty disappointed. Tell us about what you decided to go and do. You had a bucket list item. I did. I, I knew that there had been a house in Brisbane that was made up to be Bluey's house. So I said to my friend who I'm traveling with, I said, let's, let's find it. And we walked about a mile and a half to Paddington. And, you know, I had the address and my daughter, who is an adult and loves Bluey, the first thing when I landed in Brisbane, she texted me, goes, you're in Bluey's hometown. And then she texted me, goes, there's a house, you can see it. So I texted her, said, we're going to see the house. And she was so excited. And then we got there and it was just white. I'm so sorry. Everyone thinks it's still there. Yes. I totally thought there, it was still there. There was nothing on the internet that seemed to indicate it wasn't still there. And in fact, Airbnb is like, you can stay in Bluey's house. And, and No, you cannot. <laughs> no, and we got there and we kept saying, is this it? And we're looking at pictures of Bluey's house and trying to see the houses next door to compare them. And we determined that it was indeed that. And I texted my daughter with a picture of me frowning in front of the house and she texted back immediately that's devastating and um yeah so I was I was pretty crushed look the photo you shared on social media outside the house when you say the word devastating that's exactly what that face is you were not happy at all that it was not there no I was so excited to see it I love Bluey which is crazy because I don't have small children but um, I became a fan because I heard that Disney Plus in America, which is where I live, uh, had banned an episode of this children's show that I had just kind of heard about a little bit. And I thought, what the heck? So, so of course I need to watch that one. And of course you could just get on YouTube in America and 
you know, somebody's put it up. And I watched Dad Baby, which I thought was the most darling thing I've ever seen. And and such a lesson in empathy and in trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And then Bingo was just so funny. Like, I love when she finally pops out and goes, born. And, and, and it made me like this huge Bluey fan. And... You know, like it or not, Brisbane, I think Bluey's now your most famous resident. <laughs> and I think you're our most favourite fan to date. Maybe also Lin-Manuel Miranda, who, you know, he voices a horse on the show in one of the episodes. But I'm going to put you and Lin-Manuel up there. Um, that's very kind of you, but I'm pretty sure he's several stratospheres above me. <laughs> I don't know. At this sort of event that we're at here today, Lin-Manuel, you're on a second tier because clearly you're listening as a fan as well. But... Uh, one of the things that we also did, um, because you were so devastated about the house is gone, you wanted to see, for real life, the healer home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We pr- brought along Deborah Hood. Um, a lot of people will remember her lovely painting a year ago that she did of that, or just over a year ago, the house. Um, you've been given a print today. There's a little bit of bluey that's going to come home to you in the US. How does that feel? Oh, I love it. I, I'm just a little worried about how I'm going to fit it in my suitcase. But my friend's suitcase is bigger than mine, so I think I think she might be able to do it. So I think we're going to be okay. Otherwise, I'll figure out how to carry it on. All right. I secretly think that was one of Lou's favourite interviews, speaking to Julia Quinn. Next up on our uh, classic catches, our recap of 2023, uh, is our conversation with Marianne Taylor. Now, Marianne Taylor runs a business in Brisbane called The House Detective. Marianne is an architectural historian, which means basically she digs up the stories of people's houses. Now, Marianne is also a massive Bluey fan. And Lou, we hit Marianne up because we said, hey, Marianne, we've been noticing in season three, there's been a bit more of Brisbane architecture being uh, displayed um, on the screens of Bluey, uh, early on it was very much the classic Queenslander vibe, but we sat down and had a conversation with her about the architecture of Bluey on her back deck. And it, was a, it was a great chat, wasn't it? Uh, it was another magical moment. Like 2023, hasn't it just been so many magical moments and just wonderful people? Marianne, you are one of those. Um, it was a great chat just talking about the small details that we're in a cartoon. And I think we often think as adults there's not much detail in a cartoon. I mean, that's what a cartoon's like, right? You just have some very basic things as opposed to for real life filming. But yet the detail that Ludo Studios captures about what makes these different architectural styles special and some of the things we could zoom in on with her, um, and that's what you can see for real life here in Brisbane. So thank you, Marianne, for sharing you know, your expertise um, on Bluey. Here she is, Marianne Taylor, the house detective, talking about all the little details of the Healer house. Ah, that's no good. This house is falling apart. Well, nothing lasts forever. Yeah, I guess. It's just got character. I think that's the interesting thing about Bluey, isn't it? That you look at the homes and they're so familiar to us. They're the the, the homes that make up our inner suburbs. Um, Yet to people who are from down south or from overseas, they're basically these timber boxes on stilts that just look really almost temporary and and Mm. a little bit um, down at heel almost, although that's not how we see them. So looking at the Bluey house, it's 
I, I, the, they're so accurate, the houses in Bluey too. That's what I really love. And this is a great example of what would generally be a pre-1900 house. And the key feature that I see that um, makes me think that is that the veranda roof is separate and lower to the main roof. So don't worry, I won't get too nerdy and into it, but that's just a key feature that makes you realise that it is quite an early house. And the um, what's called the gable on the right-hand side that's got the fancy window under it, basically the big triangular part on the right, that was another common um, feature, that asymmetrical style home from the 1800s, late 1800s generally in Brisbane as well. Mm. So yep. it's a gorgeous example, very accurate. The pyramid shaped roof is another key feature of Brisbane's early homes. It's just lovely. And, and what about the bay window? Because I've lived in a house almost identical to the to the Heeler house when I was younger uh, in the sort of Paddington um, area, which is very um, bluey central. But it didn't have the bay window. When did sort of bay windows become, you know, fashionable in Brisbane? The bay window was, its heyday was definitely the 20s and 30s. However, having said that, you do find them on much earlier homes around the same period as this, late 1800s, 1890s, but they tended to be on the really fancy pants, grand homes. So not necessarily a smaller cottage like this. They would generally just have had the um, maybe a triple or single double hung window in the gable section so it's a little bit unusual but not impossible but generally on the grander homes they are a very very similar style just bigger and they would have ver another veranda wrapping around the side of the home as well in general. Hmm. So um, give us the background of the Queensland how did this house sort of pop up in you know, the southeast of Queensland and I guess tropical Queensland as well. Sure. There's a, there's a few different theories about where it was imported from. Um, the, the leading uh, ideas are that it was maybe imported with British soldiers who'd served in India or Asia. Um, they'd seen particularly the veranda as well as a concept. It's um, difficult to say. And again, with them being up on stumps off the ground, which is one of the most notable um, iconic features of them. That's thought to be for possibly for a variety of different um, reasons. One of them is to get it up out of the floods um, because like a lot of places we built where it flooded before mm -hmm. we realised. Mm -hmm. Other ideas are that it makes it easier to keep them away from termites and check that whether or not you've got termites. So. Um, you can even see actually in the Bluey house, they've got the ant caps yep. on top of the stumps, which yep. is a really great accurate detail. And the other thought was that it lifts it up and lets more breeze through the home as well um, to, to sort of have natural climate control. I think too in Brisbane, in some of the inner city suburbs like Paddington, it made it so much easier to build on the steep land without having to manually alter the land like we do with modern houses. Mm -hmm. I think that's also like a really good point about the hills because we talk about Paddington and Red Hill. It should be Red Hills and lots of, you know, <laughs> plurals there. Um, because it's only uppy-downy in Red Hill. Morning, man. G'day, kids. Hi. You're up early. Gotta be done. All right, we're up to our second last classic catch. Now, Justin, you got to speak to David Peterson and you were very excited that he said yes to your request to have a chat. Tell me why this makes our classic catch list. All right. Well, I've known David for a long time now. Now, David uh, came into season one of Bluey just as a bit of a, a backstop. He helped uh, get production back up on schedule. He was an editor, um, but but he worked on a whole bunch of episodes for season two of Bluey. Now, if you look through his list of credits, I mean, there's some real best ofs in there. Hammer Barn, Flat Pack, Dance Mode, just to name a few. But I mean, between the two of us, 
He worked on one of our very favourite episodes in Dad Baby. Hard enough, Pat. But I don't know how to deliver a baby. I thought you grew up on a farm. We grew sorghum. Yeah, I read the script for that and then we started working on the um, animatics. I was kind of like, are we going to get away with this? <laughs> Do you know what? I think Dan Brum actually said the same thing when we spoke to him about Dad Baby. <laughs> I think he said um, he was sitting there, you know, doing the mix for Dad Baby and he's literally yeah. like, how on earth are we going to get away with this? Yeah. I was going to ask you about Dad Baby because that is such just a wildly wacky um like almost Monty Python-esque kind of episode. A brilliant, yeah. like, TV comedic writing. There's there's so many layers, like even when, you know, Lucky comes out onto the onto the steps. It's not for six, Dad! Oh, any boundaries? One boundary, two singles. Who got the boundary? Focus! You know, what's oh, yeah, the what's the score in the cricket? There's this underlying theme of you know, blokes in Australia must know what the cricket score is at all times, no matter what the task is at hand. You know, what goes through your mind when you when you get a, a script like that? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was kind of just thinking, all right, let's see how this goes. Because, I mean, there's, I, I mean, I'm always just going to edit what I'm given, right? So I was given the, 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 the storyboards, given the audio, and I can't remember how much of the recorded audio we had on that one. It's always a mix between... Uh, the actual actors and and usually Joe who's done temp audio and then you know as we're doing the editing process he'll re-record and that kind of thing. So on Dad Baby, uh, yeah, I took the storyboards, I took the audio, I put it together and was like, okay, here's a version, <laughs> let's work on it. And then a couple of days later, Joe comes in and we do our sort of first editing session, and we're working out together and you know looking at different shots. It's like, hmm, is this one going to work? Or you know, this is the scene when they're like pulling the, the baby out of out of Dad's you know uh, clothing. I'm getting a lot of dim sims. Ooh, I'm getting a lot of dim sims. Yeah, getting a lot of dim sims. And it's just like, uh, so there's some storyboards that we ended up like either dropping or adjusting just so they would sort of, you know, work, I think, better. And that's part of the process, right? You're always trying different things out. And it's like, do we have this shot? Or do we showing underneath? Are we showing, you know, bingo underneath or outside, just the outside view? And you try different stuff and then it goes away and gets feedback from, you know, uh, Charlie and other producers and sometimes... Uh, people further up the chain and then comes back a couple of weeks later and we do another refinement. But it stayed pretty close to the original script, to be honest. Um, it was really just working through, you know, how do we make it work? And then I leave the other questions up to people further up the chain. Mm. <laughs> so it's David Peterson, Bluey editor, talking all things dad, baby. Now to wrap up our, our classic catches, Lou, um, one of the biggest events uh, in the Bluey calendar this year was Bluey Fest, the hottest 100 of Bluey, yes. counting down the top 100 episodes. And to celebrate, uh, the ABC fitted out a uh, an ice cream truck and drove it up from uh, Sydney to Brisbane, parked it on the, the lawn there at South Bank. And so we went along and talked about our top five episodes because to get an ice cream, you had to do a certain thing, didn't you? Yeah, you had to vote um, of what your top episodes were. One of the things I just loved is the love, actually, is how I'm going to frame it, of the crowd. So everyone's queuing up, you know, politely. Everyone's just shyly smiling at each other because of all the bluey sort of merch and clothing and accessories that's going on, the excitement of all the little kids you know, people were braving stormy weather. We basically got to record in between rain showers that day. and But no rain was going to, 
ruin Bluey Fest that day. So hats off to everyone who got out in Brisbane. It was, I'm going to say sellout, but it was free. The amount of crowns I don't think um, the promo team could predict who would just send on this poor little ice cream truck to get, you know, ice cream cones um, because they were out of ice cream everywhere they went, often much earlier than anticipated. So, yeah, like this is not going away, is it? Like this, Bluey is huge and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens next year, like looking ahead again. We're getting a 28-minute, um, I'm going to call it the movie because Blue, uh, Joe Brum at the Brisbane Writers' Festival hinted that, you know, there might have been a Bluey movie, but what we're going to get is a 28-minute episode, which is for regular episodes. So it's practically a Chunky Chimp movie. <laughs> um, that's going to come next year as well. Bluey World is coming. 2024 is looking very bright on the Bluey horizon, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how long... Um, production stays on hiatus because they are on hiatus at the moment. They're taking a well-earned break. I mean, that crew have run themselves ragged the last couple of years um, producing this show. 150 plus episodes in a couple of years is massive. It's just huge. As you said, we turned up to the ice cream truck. We chatted about our top five episodes. Um, If you want to listen to that, you can jump back into your podcast feed, have a listen But um, here are our number one episodes of Bluey, um, as we saw it on the day at Bluey Fest. All right, what do you got, Lou? Number one best ever episode of Bluey, in your opinion. All right, I'm going to get emotional. So I should have probably declared that at the beginning. There could be tears, but they're happy tears or bittersweet ones. My top episode is Rain. Now, it wasn't during the week when we were sharing, hey, what are your top fives? I changed my mind since I talked to you. Because there's something beautiful about that episode on a number of different levels. So one of the first levels is I'm wearing my Deborah Hood Bluey House enamel pin. And uh, Deborah gifted me, quite unexpectedly during the flood week, her uh, Bluey House uh, painting that she did of the Airbnb for real life Mm. Bluey House um, Mm. in Paddington. And it was on my birthday because who doesn't want to celebrate their birthday with a natural disaster? Of course. Love it. Love it. Of (laughs) course. And that's now just actually taken pride of place in freshly painted TV room by moi. Um, So I was just reflecting on this in that one episode of Rain because there's a film clip that goes with the song Rain, which is just an amazing uh, piece sung by Jazz Darcy. Joff Bush, this is another reason why, you know, this is number one for me because it's such an evocative song um, Mm. in Mm. terms of his composition, working with jazz and the rest of the musicians. My other community is Stanthorpe or the tiny little village community of Ballandine. And we've been on fire for the last week. And to see, like, we're sitting under a tree here under some pretty ominous clouds. And we took a chance the rain app was not lying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no rain. And it's not going to dump on us and destroy our equipment. And not going to rain on everybody here in the line either. So, and I just think it's great that everyone's braved the rain because rain has been traumatic. Rain has also just been an absolute miracle for this week, for example. Mm. So the bushfires are now all out because of that weather change, the front that came in. So that's why I'm quite emotional and I thought, no, nah, it has to be rain because on so many levels, Jazz Darcy and Joff Bush, amazing. Mm. The episode itself, amazing. My number one episode ever, 
ever. And I agree with Bandit Healer, Dave McCormack's favourite episode, as revealed on Good Morning Minneapolis. Yes, um, I was going to do a show. They're over there that. for the, the Comic Con uh, convention over there. Um, yep. My favourite episode is cricket. Give me that. I've had enough of your pies. Bit of spin, okay, Rusty? Oh, good, Mr. Healer. Yes. I love no cricket. No surprises, Mr. No. Cricket Podcast, you. No surprises. <laughs> no surprises. I love... Cricket tragic. I love cricket. I am a cricket tragic. Uh, but yeah, I just love cricket because I was that kid, Rusty. I was the kid, Rusty, who loved cricket. I mean, I still do. For me, being able to sum up the whole spirit of cricket, and that whole spirit of cricket thing kind of is a bit of a wishy-washy thing that kind of sometimes gets pulled up when maybe you don't agree with the outcome of a game but there is a definite spirit of cricket and I think uh, Joe Brum and the Ludo team really nailed uh, that whole spirit of cricket and what cricket means to Australians in a seven-minute episode it was just brilliant yeah, absolutely. you know yeah. um, and that, I had the same thing taught to me as a kid you know um, cricket teaches you stuff about life you know, you're going to face hard things. And as uh, Rusty's dad says, you know, you can either get out of the way of that fast ball um, or you can step in front of it and pull it for six, hook, hook it for six, hit it for six. Um, yep. Don't back away from hard things. Now, Justin, I'm going to wish you a Merry Christmas. And we're, I've already said we're recording this on the 20th. Legitimately, we have no idea. I say we. You have no idea, you know, how many spoons you've got left, how much mental real estate you've got left before the big Santa day of the 25th. So you might be listening to this listener, well and truly after Christmas, but Merry Christmas retrospectively to you, Justin. Merry Christmas to you in the future, retrospectively, on the day, all that sort of thing, because time travel exists in a podcast. And a Happy New Year to you too, because we're going to come back in the new year to be able to talk about that 28-minute episode. Uh, we're definitely going to bring you whatever we can about Bluey World because that is just so exciting. So there's always more things that are coming um, from us. Um, we are trying to get into Melanie Zanetti's DMs, your inbox. Melanie, I know you listen. I know you're sitting on a beach somewhere with a daiquiri listening to our episodes right now. Call me. Call Justin. We would love to <laughs> chat to Chili, Mrs. Healer. So we've got some things still planned coming up and we're really looking forward to talking to you all things about Bluey, aren't we? Absolutely. And thanks again for another great year on the podcast, Lou. Merry Christmas to you and yours and to all the listeners. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Um, however you're celebrating, you're probably not having a Christmas swim uh, in the Northern Hemisphere uh, this year, but we'll have a Christmas swim on your behalf. And some classic catches in the pool too. Stripe, are you sure you know how to do the crackling, mate? Read the apron! <laughs> <laughs>